0: Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com.
1: I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com.
0: And our very special guest is...
1: Matt Maley, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, it's great to be here.
1: Would you care to give um, our listeners a quick, praise, a quick bio, um, CV, potted history?
2: Sure, uh, either you know, of yourself
1: I, or somebody else—it's of your call.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can. Well, I can make up so all sorts of stuff, but, uh, uh, but I like to be uh, c- c- keep things honest. So, uh, yeah, my—I uh, have a little bit of a different background uh, in uh, uh, compared to a lot of strategists, basically all strategists on Wall Street, because I was actually a trader um and uh I worked uh, at Solomon Brothers for the first 15 years of my career uh for younger people they may not may not remember Solomon Brothers but back in the day that was the uh, you know it was the biggest or most important trading desk it wasn't the most, oh, right. you know Morgan Stanley Goldman Sachs they were uh certainly bigger firms overall uh but uh, uh we were the biggest trading desk and i was there for 15 years in the 80s and into the 90s uh and uh and I was covering the uh, the trading desks of, uh, of, you know, some of the largest institutions in the world. Uh, you know, uh, Fidelity and the mutual fund side, several mutual funds, uh, BlackRock, uh, uh, big banks, big insurance companies, et cetera. And, uh, you know, that kind of gave me a, a good insight into what, uh, uh, you know, what really uh, goes on in the marketplace. I mean, we all want to know what the uh, fundamental aspects of things are. But uh, my, my kind of old saying is that, you know, th- you, you hear all the time on. Wall Street that the uh, the market's always right, and I I I think that's the worst old adage on Wall Street you can listen to. Uh, actually, the market is always right, but it's only always right eventually, and uh, that's what I learned as, as a trader. I did it, 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 15 years at Sombra's and then another 10 years at Merrill Lynch uh, before I came to Miller Uh And uh, and again, you 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 know we have those what theoretically should happen over the next year, three to five years, et cetera, in long term. And we all, obviously, there's nothing more important than the fundamentals. Uh, but, well, you know, we you bring in technical analysis, sentiment readings, positioning, and all these different uh, ideas to, to tell us what uh, what's really going to happen, or much more likely to happen uh, on a, uh, rather than what should theoretically happen. And uh, that's uh, enabled me to make a lot of good calls over the years, uh, you know, at key turning points, whether it be for the overall market, individual stocks, different groups, et cetera. So, um but that's, yeah, that's how I started uh, there. So spent 25 years uh, trading uh, and then uh, moved to uh, Miller-Tabak, uh, where uh, I became, uh, well, I started off uh, trading uh, trading there, doing some uh, research work, et cetera, uh, and then became the uh, chief market strategist about a decade ago, and uh, been doing that ever since. So it's, uh, again, a little bit of a, a unique uh, uh, background for, for those who are uh, strategists and uh it's helped me i think uh uh really have a better uh better feeling for what's really going to happen and, and and like i said make some key uh calls at, 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 the, at the points when uh, everybody seems to be on one side of the boat and and turn out to be dead wrong when you
1: were at uh, salomon brothers was that during the, the golden age of louis ranieri and john gutfreund
2: absolutely yep uh, is there from uh, 1982 to 1996 or 7 uh the uh uh, and yeah, it's funny because uh, Lou, Lou Ranieri, uh, I'm pretty sure. I know he didn't have a, a college degree. I don't think he spent a day inside a college classroom, and yet he uh, went on to become on the uh, executive committee, and obviously, basically, invented the uh, mortgage-backed securities business, and uh, quite a uh, quite a, a legend. And and of course, uh, John Goodfriend. Um, uh, and again, he was a trader. He was another person. He was an English major uh, with an undergraduate de- yeah undergraduate degree in 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 English. Uh, when I started at the at Solomon Brothers, there was only one person with an MBA on the executive committee, and he he well, was Henry Kaufman, who was the, the most respected uh, 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 <clears throat> economist at the time. Uh, but it was more mostly former traders, and uh, so it was a great, great uh, atmosphere, and and uh, uh, and a really exciting time to be uh, to learn the business.
1: What happened to Solomon? Did they get subsumed within one of the mergers? Yeah. Well, what, being- what
2: happened was is yes, they got bought out by a uh, Travelers at the time, which was Smith Barney, uh, which uh, you know merged with Citigroup. So it's now, I guess, technically under the Citigroup uh, 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 moniker. But the uh, the you know what what happened was uh, John Goodfriend. We had this uh, problem where we you know we had the the, the uh, government bond trading scandal that happened in the early 1990s, and uh, he got pushed out. The new person came in who was more of a salesman, uh, and uh, and remember, uh, uh, the, our return on equity was not as high as some of the others. And Warren Buffett bought a big chunk of the company; uh, he had about twenty percent ownership, and it wasn't working for him. So he decided, you know, we've got to sell this thing, and uh, so we got taken over by uh, by Smith Barney. And uh, uh, yeah, that, that's what happened. It was a very interesting time too, because w- what what usually happens in the marketplace is you know. Is you know, the reasoning behind certain things uh, aren't always particularly accurate? And I remember back then uh, when we had that bond scale uh, scandal in the early 1990s. Uh, the Federal Reserve, uh, especially the New York Fed president, was so mad he wanted to really put the fines on Solomon Brothers, much to the way they did uh, to Drexel. Uh, when they had their problems in the high yield market uh, and basically find us out of existence. But uh, at that time, that's when the whole derivatives book was really starting to go. We were very, very big in that. And our treasurer went in, opened up the book and said – if you find us out of existence, we're the, counter, we're the most important counterparty uh, to most of Wall Street. And uh, it was kind of like long term capital management, of which of course came out of Solomon Brothers. Uh, uh, so you can't find us out of business. And it, so it was a very interesting uh, uh, time to be uh, really learn, again, how, what, how things really play out in, in, on Wall Street.
0: So up to date, you're, you said you're head of market strategy. Is that right? Where, where are you? I'm at
2: Miller-Tabak. I'm at the chief market strategist at Miller-Tabak, and I also write uh, the mailer report, which is a market letter that uh, comes out, uh, well, it's a, it's a short piece every morning, and then I put out a longer piece uh, that's a little bit more involved uh, on the weekends. So is
0: that like a partnership, and that, that's how you can write independent research, or, or how does that work?
2: Exactly, yes. So they uh, um, uh, it's 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 one thing about Miller Miller Taback. They let uh, people expand and and do and I say, do they can't do whatever you want, obviously, but uh, uh, and try other things and reach uh, new audiences. I mean, one of the reasons I you know moved from trading was uh, I was writing this uh, um, daily piece for my uh, for my trading customers. And they started passing it along to their uh, to their portfolio managers at places like Fidelity and and uh, Putnam and and uh, uh, J P Morgan Asset Management these places, and they started voting for me. And uh, they said, "What are you doing on the trading desk? Why don't you sit on the trading desk and stop trading and, and start you know." Uh, doing this uh, 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 strategy work um because it's uh it, it's it's reaching more people and uh, so yeah so that's uh so that's what i'm doing now
0: do you actually enjoy that more than the trading?
2: Well, I mean, well, first of all, the trading aspect has really changed over the years. I mean, it was much more hands-on back in the uh, 80s, 90s, and even into the uh, 2000s. But uh, now with it so much more computerized, it's uh, it's a little bit uh, uh, less uh, uh creative, I should say. Uh, but besides, I've always tried to look uh, past uh, the trading aspects. I've always been interested in the overall. It's, it's funny, I was a, I was a government major and and I've always tried to work into certain things about what's, you know, I don't care about, um, my, my readers don't care about what my personal opinion is on politics. Uh, but what they do care about is that how will, I mean, what do I think will happen, not what I think should happen. And what I think will happen, if I'm right on that, how it will impact the markets. If it's something in the political sphere that's really not going to have an impact on the markets, I don't talk about them because that's that's not what I do. I'm not a political person. I mean, I, I really enjoy the study of politics, but it's, uh, uh, again, uh, the people start throwing around their personal opinions. It doesn't really help much. I'm just trying to help people decide how it's going to impact their investments.
0: So given that the market is using computers more, are you using computers more in your analysis?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it, it, of course, you know, see the internet. It, it just in general allows you to so much more uh, a leeway to to do that that research. Um, and and it's it's the 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 news, of course, uh, is it gets transferred so much more quickly. I mean, this has been happening for hundreds of years, uh, and it just keeps accelerating more and more and more. I mean, now at the point where newspapers are almost non-existent, and uh, uh, but you know you can find you can find a lot of the information much more easily. Find out uh, you can study things like uh, you know we have certain things that are you know uh, uh, correlations in the marketplace that a lot of people a lot of the traditional correlations don't actually work very well. I mean a, a, a fabulous one right now is just talking about how well the Fed is uh, the Federal Reserve has stopped easing uh, and pretty much everybody thinks that that that's the case and they won't raise raise again unless something uh, changes. Uh, the problem is that the people don't look at the right correlation. They're comparing apples to apple, uh, apples to oranges. Uh, if you look at when the stock market is... The, the fact is the Fed usually stops raising rates when the stock market is uh, significantly... Uh, whoops. What that is? My phone. Uh, you know, this is when the stock market is quite cheap, trading at 13 to 15 times earnings. Uh, if you go back the last uh, 30 years, uh, there's only been so. In other words, they are correct in telling us that when uh, the, the Fed stops uh, uh, raising rates, the market tends to rally and, and rally quite nicely. Uh, the problem is the one time that they didn't, uh, where they stopped raising rates when the market was very expensive, was in the 2000 and of course we know the market kept going down. Yeah. This time around, again, we're in a situation where the market is expensive. So uh, you know, you can look at all these things outside the marketplace and look at these correlations a lot better than you used to be able to do uh, without all this technology.
0: Well, I remember in 2000, that was one of the reasons why they thought the stock market would go up because as we went into 2001, because they were going to lower rates. And I think they did lower rates, but then the market just in 2001 just kept going down. Um, later, we find, you know, found out in September of that year that there was the, the major terrorist attacks. Um, and then after three weeks after that happened, the market bottomed. And they cut rates aggressively and everything went back up again. So it is, it is right that interest rates, if you look over time, don't necessarily follow uh, completely with what the stock market's going to do. You could raise interest rates and the market could go up and you can lower interest rates and the market can go down. And that applies to individual currencies as well. I mean, many, many countries during the Asian financial crisis raised interest rates to try and protect their currency and all that happened was it accelerated the decline. And they tried that in um, 1992 in the UK when they tried to protect the pound from falling out of the RM. Nigel Lawson raising interest rates and and saying we've borrowed a few billion from the IMF, which was, if you know that the amount of uh, currency that's traded per day in terms of volume is trillions. so. It was never going to do. It was a drop in the bucket, as they say. So it is interesting how when people get taught traditional economics, you know, you raise interest rates, the market goes down, and currencies, uh, you know, rise. Right. That's not how it works. It's just they're being taught incorrectly, and they have been for a very long time.
2: I totally agree, and that's one of the reasons why I love the fact that, I, that my background taught, taught me that, that you, you 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 can't look. You Yes, you want to use the... Uh, uh, textbooks uh, as a reference uh, uh, and what you learned in your business classes uh, in college uh, or, or business school, whatever. It's, uh, th- those are a good reference point. Uh, but the world, the real world works uh, very, very differently uh, than, than, than those textbooks tell you. And, you know, again, you, you have to look at what the starting point uh, might be. And you also have to look at why, how and why the markets moved the way they did before these changes were put in place. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that uh, the the big rally uh, of the uh, uh, late 1990s uh, people thought was uh, because you know there was a new economy coming on and this big change in the internet. Well, that was did play a big role, uh, but I would argue, uh, and I would argue that it's happened over the last has happened many times in the last 25 years, is that liquidity, a big injection of liquidity, played a very important role in that rally, exacerbated the rally, took those uh, uh, stocks much higher than they did, uh, much higher than they would have uh, otherwise done, and uh, created that bubble. And the liquidity was put into place because of the Y2K uh, issue uh, Mm. that uh, turned out not to be a serious problem, but only because the the system was flooded with liquidity for several years going into it.
0: So I always thought that economics didn't work because I came to the market from a technical analysis point of view, and I did my own research by looking at what stocks did and writing down what the commentary was on those stocks in a little diary on a day-to-day basis and plotting charts by hand, which is, you know, revealing too much about me being a geek than I should do. But I'm actually, I've never asked him this question. How did you find out that traditional economics doesn't work in that way and 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 got yourself sort of into a discipline with value investing that that you realize does work.
1: I suppose, I mean, Matt's already alluded, or you, or you've both already alluded to sort of um, currency crises and interest rates not working the way they did. So for me, I had front row seats to the sterling ERM crisis in September 92. And it became abundantly clear back then that nobody who was practising any conventional branch of economics had a the vaguest clue what they were talking about. <laughs> so I suppose by a process of sort of continued discreditation, um, there needed to be something else. And then I forget, I forget exactly what it was. But I had the, the good fortune to start moving in classical economics, or you might call it Austrian economics, circles from around the late '90s onwards. And here's a type of uh, approach that makes intuitive sense. So for people who aren't aware the, the classical school or the, the Austrian, so-called Austrian school basically just says, now you've got all these Keynesian and neo-Keynesians trying to model everything and trying to have graphs and slides and whatever pointing to if, if X, then Y. And then you can just throw all that in the bin because it's all cobblers. It's all nonsense. <laughs> and then you instead have someone like Ludwig von Mises who says, the economy is us. The economy is not a, an abstract thing. It's, the collective interactions of everybody on the planet. Well, good luck modeling that. It's impossible.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well that that's so interesting because that's where technical analysis comes from. It's exactly the same thing. So as you the market is the market and you can't model it. The best way to model it is just to use the market itself and good luck trying to, you know, predict it in the sense that no model will ever resemble what's going on and uh, you know the Bank of England still try it to this day and you just see how their forecasts go wrong um most of the time they might be within a certain you know uh delayed reaction to what's happening because that's how because they can't see that the actual economy is is a discounting mechanism of what's happening in the future but anytime there's a crisis they definitely don't see it and they don't seem to learn from their mistakes so Matt from your perspective do you actually put things uh, do you put technicals and fundamentals together and use a bit of your own secret sauce or is it all fundamentals and and no technicals
2: no use i use technicals very very heavily um the and and i i, Paul, I can't agree with you more it's it's funny because i you you hear from people every once in a while uh who say it's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo a bunch of lines drawn on a, on a chart that's just uh, you know voodoo economic whatever and uh but it's, I, I literally sat there one time at a, at a, at a, at a party, uh, and somebody was pontificating about how, uh, it, it was a waste of time. And, and, and then, uh, it just, so it wasn't a business party and I just kind of stand to the side and, and then, but a few minutes later, he started talking about how, well, you know, the economy always moves, I'm sorry, the markets always move six months ahead of the economy and individual stocks always move six months ahead of the, uh, of in there. And I said, that's technical analysis. Exactly. And he exactly. kind of, froze and said, what, what? <laughs> and, and, and the way I like to tell it to people an easy way, just you know, a very elementary way is just say, listen, think about it. If you're a, a if you have a business or that you're looking at a company, the business has been down for a couple of years, they've had to lay off people, they've closed factories. Well, what happens when things turn up? Okay. When things get better, uh, you know, you're going to, are you going to wait for their earnings to get better? Well, again, you know, the people who do the, you know, are going to go in there and realize, oh my gosh. They're hiring new people. They're reopening their factories. But that takes time. That, those earnings aren't going to turn up right away. That's going to take six months. Well, the people who are doing the uh, people who are paying attention are going to realize that they, they're not going to wait around for those earnings to get better. They're going to get it at the nice cheap price because the stock is down. They'll start buying it up. And then you can see that in the charts. So if you're uh, an individual investor who doesn't have an army of analysts to, to try to figure out some of the stuff in advance, you can do it through the charts because they're telling you those things in advance, so it's 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 vitally important. And I would also add that if you listen to any of the or, or read about any of the great hedge fund managers, uh, uh, Paul Tudor Jones, uh, Stanley Druckenmiller, uh, uh, you name, I mean, you go, you go, I could list many of them. Uh, they uh, they all use tech, technical analysis heavily. And uh, uh, you know, I'm not saying they use it solely by any stretch of the imagination, but they do use it heavily. So if they're doing it, I think it's a good idea that other people do it too.
0: So the remit of markets that you look at, are you predominantly equities or do you cover everything?
2: Well, yes. Well, yes, I do. It's mostly equities. But at the same time, uh, you can't be following the equity market without paying attention to what's going on in so many other different markets. I mean, obviously, the bond market right now. I mean, there's been times where, I mean, I've, you know, just even the last, well, 20, 10 years, 20 years, whatever, there's been times you could go months uh, where this, where the stock market traded tick for tick with the oil market. Uh, that's not the case now, but uh, it hasn't been for a little while, but that had been, has been the case in the past. The bond market important, the, uh, 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 I uh, mean, you know, obviously, the currency markets. So I'm looking at all these different things. The high yield market, bi- wildly important. Watching watching high yield spreads is vitally important, especially when a market gets expensive like it is today. And uh, and then I try to look at some of the liquidity gauges uh, because, like I said, I think that's been a much more important uh, aspect uh, of what is happening. I mean, uh, I, I would argue that the AI, uh, the whole AI phenomenon. Not the whole. I take it back. That the AI phenomenon is 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 no question. It is going to change the world. Uh, but some these stocks. It is not a coincidence that the, this took place. That the big jump in these AI stocks took place in the springtime uh, when the bank of uh, when the regional banking crisis took place. You look at the Fed's balance sheet, or I should say, not the, the, their balance sheets. You look at the uh, uh, U.S. reserves at, uh, with uh, uh, the, with Federal Reserve banks. That shot up like a like a moonshot because they needed to protect the system. They they literally went from QT to QE for a couple of months to protect the system from a major bank run. And and what always happens when you ever get a big influx of liquidity into the system, uh, the whatever the most important uh, uh group or whatever whatever the I'm sorry whatever the most uh the, the group with the biggest momentum and the best story tends to get an outsized move. That happened in the late 1990s again. People don't realize it, that how much money was flooded into the system to save us from the Y2K issue. We can talk about that in detail if you'd like. But it also happened in the, in the late, uh, in 2011. I mean, Ben Bernanke came in and flat out said publicly, we, one of the things we're doing right now is flooding the system with liquidity, with QE, in the hopes of raising asset prices so that we can help the economy bounce back out of this uh, uh, out of this great financial crisis. I mean, he said it publicly. I mean, they used basically they were saying we're using the markets as a tool here to try to help the economy because it's a crisis. Uh, and but the problem they ran into is that that the the hottest the hottest and sure enough it helped all the markets do better. But then we had this the, some of that liquidity or a lot of that liquidity went into the hottest area. What was the hottest area? Well, the hottest area was the commodity markets because China was growing like, uh, you know, in an unbelievable way. The problem was that, the, and, and, the, and the Fed, again, Federal Reserve members were saying publicly, we're, we have a problem here because too much of our excess liquidity is going into the commodities markets. And I said at the time in the mail report, I said, listen, and I said to my customers here at Miller Tabak, this is going to be a top, an important top for the commodities market. And I said, and they said, well, well why do you say that? And, and I said, because. This is one area where the market's rallying is hurting the economy, and and people, you know, people kind of forget that we had major uh, disruptions, uh, social unrest in the Middle East at that time. We even had riots in Paris and London because food prices were so high in 2011. And sure, I said they're going to, and I said publicly they're going to do something, and and I, I I took not only that situation. Uh, but I also looked at the insider selling, and I'd love to talk about insider selling because that's a major thing. But uh, Glencore was, was the biggest uh, uh, commodities broker in the world. They went public. They've been a private company making gazillions of dollars for 20, 30 years, and they decided to go public. Why? Because they knew that their that their their market was had turned into a bubble. So they they went public. Uh, the other one was Cargill here in the uh, in the U.S. They sold the, their MOS their mosaic position again, same reason. The insiders were selling. The, the, the Fed came out and, sure not well, the Fed didn't do what the CFTC did, but I'm sure they worked it together and said, we need you to stop this rally in the, in the stock in the uh, commodities market. And sure enough, all of a sudden, in May, I mean, literally a couple of weeks after that uh, public announcement from the Fed that they were concerned about the way the commodity markets were going, they started raising margin requirements for all sorts of commodities. That was the top of the market. They went down for the next eight years. Now, I didn't think they were going to go down for the next eight years. But see how liquidity played such a key role in that. And uh, you have to be very, very, uh, very very, cognizant of what's going on with the net liquidity in the system.
1: There's, I'm trying to think who it was. It was one of, the, one of the trading greats that I think in relation to your point about liquidity that you just imagine that the, the, the market is basically a giant cup on a saucer and the, the cup will, will fill to the brim and then it will, it will spill over. You just want to be where the you want to be where that liquid liquidity is going to spill. So it's sort of ultimately just about expecting, anticipating capital flow, which is a, a point of stunning simplicity. But it's, yeah. it's it's true nevertheless.
2: It is so true, and I say the simplicity. That's why I mean. Again, I don't want to oversimplify things, but I mean again, you look at at, at history. What in where was the momentum? Where was the good story in the late nineteen nineties? That was uh, in the internet stocks, and of course. Uh, once that topped out, I mean, you saw what happened with, with, uh, Amazon, Amazon went down 90%, even though their earnings and revenues went up every single quarter from, you know, during that whole time frame until they, you know, till the bottom and two, they actually bottomed earlier in 2002. Uh, but the same again happened with the, the energy, I'm sorry, with the, um, commodities markets when all that liquidity was, uh, after the great financial crisis, what happened during, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, you know, obviously, there was another huge liquidity injection uh, during the pandemic. It started in March of that year. When did Bitcoin and when did those cryptocurrencies? Again, it was the hot area. It was. It, I'm not saying that that's the only reason that any of these things rallied. Uh, the 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 internet stocks should have rallied in the late 1990s. Uh, the commodity market should have rallied in in 2010 and 2011 because gr- China was growing so much. Uh, and of course. The uh, uh, for a lot of different reasons, Bitcoin should have been rallying, but because that excess liquidity, it got pushed so much more into that most you know the the group with the most momentum, the the best quote unquote idea at the time, and it pushed it much higher. And that's what happened this summer when the Fed again flipped over, added liquidity into the system during the. uh, the regional ba- the regional banking crisis and sure enough those ai stocks which had already been rallying they just took off like i mean there's no, just look what happened in, in in nvidia nvidia reported great numbers at the end of may and uh and the stock just took off it rallied 28 percent one day it was unbelievable and then just kept on going well that's when well, all that liquidity was being added from the fed because they went from QE for a little while, they went from QT to QE. But also, of course, we had in early June when the uh, when the, we had the budget issue and the Fed stopped selling <laughs> stopped selling bonds, that added liquidity, so it kind of compounded one another. But then, what happened to Nvidia in late August when they had pulled the plug? You see, where the uh, uh, the you know the, the Fed's uh, balance sheet, the you know the U.S. Reserve balances at Federal Reserve banks started to go down. Well, guess guess what? They reported a just as good a number just as good earnings in late August as they did in late May. The stock rallied about 8% in the morning, rolled back over, closed almost unchanged, and then went down 20% over the next two months. Why? Because the liquidity wasn't there anymore. Now, again, I'm not saying it's only liquidity-driven. A lot of it had to do with the fact that it rallied so much and it becomes so overbought on a short-term basis that it, was, that it had no choice but to come down without that excess liquidity. But it just shows you uh, how much liquidity it's, it's, it's and, the, and the whole problem is that over the last 15 years, these liquidity injections have taken markets above their underlying true fundamentals and uh, they've normalized interest rates, but at some point, uh, as Stanley Druckenmiller said about a month ago, or maybe it was two months ago, you know, the uh, the the bond market has has changed or has has adopted, has normalized or has adopted to the post QE era, uh, but the stock market has yet to do that, and at some point, it's going to have to. That doesn't mean we're going to have a repeat of the great financial crisis. But it does mean that uh, uh, the normalization process, I still think, has a ways to go in the stock market, uh, even though we're seeing these nice rallies in the last uh, last uh, six weeks.
0: So are you not looking at the level of inflation falling and how perhaps if the numbers continue? I know they, they ticked up a little bit today, actually. We had US CPI. Yeah, right, yeah uh, um, but that, that general downward trend would allow the Fed, who are meeting actually on the 13th, we're recording this on the twelfth of December, so it's tomorrow. So we'll find out what they, what they, what's in their heads. But the um, th- we had Daniel, Danielle Martino Booth on the show uh, a little while a f- few weeks back, and she was saying that uh, Powell wants to hold interest rates and be damned to what s- speculators think. He he doesn't want the markets to think that the Fed will always drop interest rates. I'm not so convinced that that's the case. I think there'll be political pressure for him to lower interest rates if numbers continue to look bad um, or he'll potentially get replaced because it's all, it's all political. Um, and I think the path to either lower interest rates or more liquidity is what we're going to see in the future. Um, the market is certainly anticipating that. The VIX index is below... Um, you know 12 and a half it's it's hit, hitting sort of multi-year lows as we speak and the equity markets are, are very frothy looking like they're going to break into new highs. so the market I feel is expecting lower rates one way or another what what's your take on it?
2: I definitely think that's what the market's thinking right now. Uh, I just don't think the market is right and I and and I, I, I do I do agree with Danielle she the, the to at least to a certain degree I do definitely, uh, wonder. I'm, I'm, I'm not as adamant as she is because uh, usually when you come into a Fed meeting like this, uh, there's some sort of setup from the other Fed members. Uh, if, if he was going to be uh, more hawkish, other Fed members would have been talking, speaking that way before the quiet period uh, took place. And they weren't. They were doing just the opposite. They were you know, speaking at least somewhat dovishly, at least more, more dovishly than they had been. Uh, so I am a little worried about that. But um, I do believe that, th- that the Fed knows that they cannot continue with what we've done over the last 15 years, where they keep the, the markets on steroids. And that's what's been going on. That's why the stock market is, is, is trading uh, at, you know, 20 times earnings. That only can happen if you have ultra low interest rates and, or, or, or and more importantly, QE. Mm-hmm. And uh, lower, just the fact that we, uh, uh are are seeing much lower inflation, which is great. Uh, although you can see on the, on the political side of things, prices, the, 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 the rate at which prices are rising is going down. Prices are still going up. Uh, and that's, what's causing all sorts of political problems for the president because people, they go to the grocery store and, uh, they're still quite high. Um, but, uh, prices are still quite high for, especially for food, but the, uh, uh, but the point is, they have to normalize interest rates. They're not going to go back. The, the market right now is pricing in the, the thought that we are going to go back to what we had before with ultra low interest rates and another Kiwi program. That I don't believe is going to happen. I believe that the Fed has normalized rates. And when they settle in, they're going to settle in at a much higher rate than they were from two, in 2000 and 2021. If that's the case, uh, that means that the m- multiple on the market is going to have to come down. Multiple expansion is – I always kind of laugh at that. Multiple, when people say the market is going to go up because of multiple expansion, they're just telling you the market's going to go up because it's going to get more expensive. That's, uh, that's not really uh, – and then it, it doesn't cause – multiple expansion doesn't cause the market to go up. The market goes up uh, and goes into an expensive level because of interest rates get too low or liquidity gets uh, too plentiful that's the real reason and and uh uh, again multiple stay higher for for tech stocks for all these different issues but my point is that we are not going back to the free money era uh, unless we have a crisis and if we have a crisis that's not going to be a good time to be buying stocks so uh, if if we just fall back down in in interest and and the in the uh uh, level of inflation does fall back down, even if it falls all the way to 2%, which is, you know, the last mile is going to be very difficult. Interest rates are not going back to those levels that people seem to be pricing in because so many people are, are, are so used to it. They're just assumed that it's their birthright to have expensive markets and, and have interest rates at abnormally low levels. They are they have, they have normalized interest rates. And as that flows through the economy, um, it's going to be uh, it's going to have to cause the market to normalize itself as well and that means taking more closer down to 15 to 16 times earnings and that 17 times earnings will be considered expensive not 20 times So you cannot go back to 20 times earnings you hear these people try to say that 20 times earnings is normal uh, that's 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 it's just it's just not accurate i don't know how to to say
0: so how far do you think the market the uh the U.S. stock markets could potentially fall. Then um, I know it's a difficult thing to to put a, a figure on, but by what sort of percentage would you do you think that they're overvalued, or that or that expectation that rates will go down to which they have to re, uh, reassess?
2: Yeah, I'm, well, yeah, I mean, the first thing, we, of course, we have to remember is that when, when you know, something I've been talking about all year or at least for the last six months, is that when interest rates go up in a, in a, in a very significant way, like they have, um, uh, and then interest rates go back down, that's actually negative for stocks, okay? There was one time in the, in the early, 1993-94, where it didn't work out as badly. The stocks didn't fall that much. They fell about 7% or so. But every other time in the last 70 years, since World War II, it's been quite negative for the stock market because what happens is when you get a very sharp rise in interest rates, that causes some pain eventually, causes some uh, economic pain. And then they have to cut interest rates in a significant way because we're either headed to recession or something breaks or both. And uh, we don't even have to go into recession. That's, that's another thing, too. What people say, as long as we can avoid a recession. I I always, and again, I don't want to sound too, too bearish here because I'm not looking for you know a repeat of 2000 or or 2008, but I am worried about uh, the market that 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 markets have gotten ahead of themselves again, and you know people uh, say oh they they, oh it's how clever it sounds to say, well you know the stock market has predicted nine out of the last five uh, uh, recessions, basically, and then I'm like on that that's not a reason to be bullish. That's in fact, a reason to be bearish. In other words, they're telling you that the stock market can go down 20% or, or even all the way into a bear market without a recession. You don't need a recession when the market, when the starting point is a market, very, very expensive like it is today at 2.5 times sales, which is really the much more, the much better uh, thing to look at uh, because you can't play with sales. Sales are sales. People can play with earnings. They, 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 they jigger those all the time. Also, it's a, also, you know you um, Play ways they can play with their their actual earnings per share, but they can't play with their sales, and it's very expensive right now. Um, I I don't mean to get off on a tangent here, but but my point is so going back to your actual question, I think that there's a, there's a a chance that the market could go down as much as a fifth, well, fifteen to twenty percent at some point next year, uh, and I say it's going where it's going to end. Um, and I'd also note a couple of things about election years. First of all, the early part of the election year. It's the second half that tends to be better, not the first half, and there tends to be some dips. But also, even though history does tell us that the that the election year in the U.S. Uh, the presidential election year in the U.S. is bullish for the stock market, that is accurate over the last hundred years or or longer. Uh, if you could talk about the last uh, this century, the last twenty five years, we've had six uh, we've had six elections. Uh, three of them have seen really bad declines. Uh, Two thousand of course 2008 which was obviously horrible and 2020 three of the six elections according to 2020 of course was the pandemic you know saw declines of anywhere from 35 to 50% and it did happen all in, the, in those years. Now the one in 2020, of course, 35 percent in one month, and it bounced right back. Uh, that was fine. So uh, the, 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 there's there's a reason behind uh, the the why the presidential election cycles tend to work. Um, but it does. It is much more difficult when the market is expensive. And uh, I do think that uh, as the, the market normalizes. At some point, we will see a decline um, uh, in the 15 to 20% range. That would be my my guess. Do you think
1: there's a risk, Matt, that one thing we've seen over the last few years, I would suggest, is a complete lack of, a complete loss of trust in government, in big government, and with state administrations and organizations? Do you think there's a risk that as more and more people get very distrustful of, of big government, that if you don't trust statistics, you don't really trust anything anymore? And this is a general sense of malaise in relation to. The official narratives about things. Take say inflation, for example. It could be anything.
2: Well, yeah, there's no question. I mean, and you know, we, we the, the people have been much more, uh, not, I mean, untrusting, whatever. They don't trust the government anywhere near as much. And people s- try s- to skeptical. blame it on, say skeptical, skeptical, right? Then. And people, you know, want to blame it on one part or the other. But I think it's more, both parties are are, are, uh, are have you know, plenty to plenty of blame to go around uh, for all of them. And uh, um, you know, when when each new president comes in or each new Congress says, Oh, we're going to bring people together. And they do just the opposite. They, they work hard to do just the opposite. And, uh, uh, so, you know, does that cause social unrest or to a certain degree? I, you know, I suppose it could. Um, but, uh, yeah, this, it's going to be so interesting what happens this year, whether Trump and, you know, it looks like it's gonna be Trump and Biden. Um, I'm not, uh, I I'm, you know, maybe it's because wishful thinking. I just think we need some younger, younger blood. But uh, uh, you know, here are two people that are absolutely either hated or or mistrust. I mean, people are worried about President Biden. I, I, you could be the biggest, biggest uh, Biden supporter in the world. You you have to admit he just doesn't look good uh, walking around and talking, and and so that's that's troublesome. And then of course Trump is so divisive. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult for. Uh, if those two guys do indeed become the uh, uh, nominees, it's uh, th- 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 it's it's only going to get worse because uh, people are so adamant against and not so much for one as they are against others, and uh, uh, that could that could definitely cause some problems.
0: You mentioned AI and how you you feel it will change the world. Um, how do you think it will? what What's your What's your take on where the big changes are going to be? Do you think? Will no longer have traders, for example, and it'll all be AI controlled. Or are you looking more in the the sort of world of self driving cars? And will we have a a robot doing our washing up one day?
2: Yeah, I mean that's you know, I I, one of the biggest things I worry about is is like, what are all these people going to do? You know, we always say, well, don't worry, that'll free you up for more. You know, it'll free up, it will free up people to do more, spend more time thinking about other things or doing more important things. And that's uh, that's very true. I, 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 but the problem is what, what it will do is it will help a lot fewer people do that. <laughs> they will lead, need a lot fewer people. I and mean, you see what's happening with these uh, these newspapers now. I mean, they're, they're playing off people in droves. They just don't need uh, that many people. And 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 that doesn't, you know, will they be doing all the articles? Hopefully not. Uh, um, but I, I, you know, it's, what are you going to do to a somebody who's, uh, you know, if it's going to be self-driving trucks, what's a truck driver going to do? A 50-year-old truck driver, they're going to suddenly become a, you know, they say, oh, well, we'll retrain them. Is that person going to become a computer a technician uh, at fifty or fifty-five? Uh, You're going to teach them how to do that. That's going to be tough. Um, so it's uh, it, 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 as much as, you, as you, it just seems to be that this this progress. You know, we've always seen progress being you know taking people out, of, uh, people out of jobs, and somehow it's always able to. They're always able to find something else to do uh, and retrain uh, to a certain degree. Um, but I, you know, I worry about this. I mean, it's it's just something where. Where you have a lot of people uh, who won't be uh, qualified to do much else than than, than what they're doing now, and uh, uh, if they're replaced by a robot or a computer, what are they going to do? I, that's I that concerns me. That that will have an economic impact uh, on a lot of people, and you worry about this this you know this huge uh, uh, valley that is or the chasm that that has developed between the rich and the poor is that only going to become wider?
0: So, you talked about insiders, and tell us about where you get the information on insiders and, and what their predictive value
2: is. Well, uh, you can talk about uh, um, insider selling. Uh, on, on, there's two two different kinds of insider selling. One is uh, when a company sells itself. Uh, and uh, so, it's uh, that's a, a, a type of insider selling. Now, when a company does an IPO and goes public... Of course, in a lot of cases, a real lot of cases, it has nothing to do with uh, the insiders worrying that the, you know, the, the, companies, you know, their business is topped out uh, or anything like that. Uh, just the opposite. They're like, no, we're, we're, we, we, you know, we're a growing company. Uh, we want to grow even more in order for us to grow. We need to raise money. And a great way to do that is, is, to, is to cash out some of our holdings. Uh, so they cash out some, so it's not just them cashing out because they want to go sit on a the beach They're cashing out because they want to raise more money and expand their business. Uh, and I mean, you look at what happened with the, um, uh, Mr. Gates. I mean, what he what Bill Gates did in in when when Microsoft went public in the early 1980s, right. Right. he only sold a million shares. I'm sorry, a million dollars worth of his stock. He he did he wasn't the seller. It wasn't the insiders who were selling, it was the uh, his investors, the venture capital guys who wanted to, wanted to get, get some of their money out. And so he fat, flat out said. I, if I, if anything, I'd be buying on this IPO. Now he did. He was still living in. I'm, I was joke, He was still living in his mother's garage. Not really. But he said, "I want to for spending money." Uh, but he didn't sell. But look what look at what other companies have done, especially ones who've been around a while, and when they sell, how important, how how telling that was. In 1999, at, during read, towards towards the end of the great uh, you know tech bubble was being uh, 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 inflated. What happened? Goldman Sachs, the most respected uh, firm on Wall Street, had been a private um, partnership for over 100 years. They sold out. They sold out to the public, right, uh, in 1999. What happened in 2000? Okay? Now, those partners did still hold on to a bunch of stock, but they sold it. On, so what happened with Blackstone, not, not BlackRock, Blackstone, which, of course, is the you know, big, great, great, uh, uh, widely, res- highly respected um, private equity firm? they and what did they do they had been a private company for 20 years making money hand over fist what did they do in 2007 they went public what happened a couple of months later the market topped out went back down i talked about earlier about how um, uh, 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 Glencore went public in 2011. Again, it's been a p- private company for all these years. Why would they go public? Mm. They saw that they were in a bubble. They sold, and that bar- market went into a, a bear market. I'll give you just two more quick examples. But it, uh, the, well, it, just one more example in, in when that's selling the company was happened uh, uh, with uh, Sam Zell. You know, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, he sold his company in a private transaction. He didn't. Uh, he didn't get bought out. He, he didn't do an IPO. But it was in you know 2005 2006. He saw the top in the real estate, but he said, "Oh, I'm just I want to try other things." Think, real estate was his business. He wasn't trying to. do He just saw that things were getting out of out of hand, and so he sold. So that's when insiders sell their whole companies. You know something something's up. Then you have people who do the actual insiders, uh, just you know people who own stocks who weren't necessarily the founders. In some cases they are, uh, but you saw what happened with uh, Satya Nadella in 2000 in. in Right at Thanksgiving in I, again in the mail report it was something I talked about uh, uh, it, actively. I was pounding the table. It was Thanksgiving, 2021. Satya Nadella sold 250, uh, 270 million dollars of his Microsoft stock. Two weeks later, when the stock dipped a little bit and went back up and tested its high, he sold another 100 million. He sold uh, uh, two, 374 million, two thirds of his holdings, and I was like saying. There's no now, as you know, if 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 something comes out that there's some sort of a, a, a accounting scandal, we got a big. He's got a big problem. But other than that, there's nothing wrong with him selling the stock. He's done. He had done an unbelievable, and still does an unbelievable job running that company. He took out. He took out the. Um, uh, he turned that around. People forget how how Microsoft had a big down patch there for almost a decade. It has come roaring back because of his leadership. There's, but he saw what was going on. He saw that the Fed, in my opinion, he saw what the Fed was about to do uh, in terms of going through an incredible tightening cycle. Uh, people, He had gone through plenty of times, plenty of, of cycles where the stock went down 10 or 15 percent. He just wrote it out. This time he said, you know, I think the stock, uh, I'm going to take some chips off the table. Well, sure enough, the stock went down 35 percent over the next year. And and, and, uh, look what happened just uh, last summer. Um, you know, we had uh, uh, Larry Ellison. Larry Ellison, now he's got worth billions of dollars. He didn't sell two-thirds of his stock, but he sold, six hundred. I think it was $640 million worth of Oracle stock. Guess what? That was the high. And guess what? They just reported bad earnings. Guess what? The stock's down 10%. The stock's, He saved himself about $120 million by selling last What did he see coming? Again, there's nothing wrong with what he did. He, he didn't artificially boost the stock by saying something you know saying something false he you know he's the chairman he doesn't run the company day to day anyway but but the, the point is he's just a smart guy I saw that his stock that he built deserves the money uh, got to an extremely high level and he sold and we've seen some insider selling uh, insider selling at other big tech companies recently whether it be meta with Zuckerberg we've seen uh, even Apple computer 15 million shares by t- uh, 50 million dollars. Uh, by Tim Cook, these—they're—they're uh, they're, uh, one of their uh, uh, leading uh, uh, senior vice presidents. Uh, president sold, uh, uh, I think, it was sixty million dollars worth. I mean, sold one hundred percent of her holdings. So you got some of these people who are seeing what's going on with their shares. They don't sell, I mean, and no matter what they say, they don't sell because they think it's going higher. That's just not what happens. Uh, and uh, again, a lot of them all, still own stock and will get more stock. it's it just as Nadella has. You know, uh, and he's still doing a great job with the company, and the stock's been able to make a new, uh, come come right back. Uh, but it's taken three years to do it. And I, I guess just, I just my, my, my point is that insider selling is a very very important thing. And when people do it in a again, if somebody with a lot of money sells ten million dollars worth of stock because they want to buy a house on the water in Hawaii, uh, it's fine. I mean, that's that happens all the time. It means nothing. Uh, and especially if they sell a small percentage of their stock, ten million dollars, maybe they're worth. You know, five billion dollars, ten million isn't a big deal. But when somebody sells two thirds of his shares, or if the partners of a company sell their entire company, that is a big, big deal. It's something I talk about in the mail report whenever I see it, and I, I push it really hard. I, I, I'm sorry to am rambling on here, but I'll say on the on the other side, look what happened uh, with uh, when people buy. I mean, back in 2016. Jamie, uh, the, the bank stocks started getting hit and people were starting to worry. It wasn't that long after the great financial crisis. You no, know, it had only been five years and people were like, oh, what's going on with the banks? Do we have another problem here? Jamie Dimon came out and it said, I am buying personally $26 million of J.P. Morgan stock, my own account. Now, it's $26 million especially at that time for him was a real lot of money it's a lot of money for anybody any at any time but you know, on a relative basis if he was worth 50 billion that might not have been a big deal for him that was a huge injection guess what the stock bottomed that day the market bottomed that day the bank stocks bottomed that day and rallied for another 18 months straight up and uh, what? but what's he doing now and now he's starting to sell stock for the first time now he's going to sell it over time he's going to i think it's a billion dollars or next year over time so it's not like he's i need to get out tomorrow so i'm not worried about jp morgan but you can see what happens when really big insiders make really big moves you want to pay attention
0: so where do you get the data for for that i know there's obviously filings but um you're probably not going to read it in the ft where does it come from
2: well, I mean, to be honest Bloomberg with you, I gives
1: this, Bloomberg gives this data, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, you can look it up on Bloomberg. They they update it all the time. But I will just uh, I just want to make sure I have the uh, um, I'll, I'll punch it up while I'm talking to you here. There are places called uh, you know Yahoo comes out with this stuff, but I look it up usually on Market Beat, and I assume it's MarketBeat.com, and uh, and they will give you a you know, pretty good up to date. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just MarketBeat.com, and then you and and you type in which company you want, and uh, and it'll tell you right there. I mean, it's it's. Uh, we had. I mean, the one I'm looking at. You know, I can just look right now. Advanced Micro Devices. Uh, Lisa Su just sold seven million. I'm sorry, eight almost eight million dollars worth of stock. Now, I'm not worried about that sale because it is a um, it is a scheduled sale. She's sold that each of the last several quarters. She owns a lot of stock, but at the same time i mean uh, she is selling uh but uh, she's not dumping the stock it's not like one of those big big, big sales but it's something you can look at yes yeah. so it's just uh wwwmarketbeat.com uh and you can check out any cover you like i uh um for a, um, I wish I told you that they sent you alerts to tell you what was these big sales. That's, uh, that's what really I was hoping. That. That's what yeah. I was hoping.
0: Yeah, they'd be uh, like, oh, this this has gone through or it'd be some form right. of, I mean, there must be, a. there's a regulatory uh, yes. element to this, isn't there? So there must be a way of picking it up from that.
2: But right. obviously they, you're they,
0: doing the work so people could just follow you, couldn't they? And they'd find out.
2: There, there you go. The MailerReport.com. Yeah, that's all you have to do. It's in my market letters. There, you go to theMailReport uh uh slash uh, twenty five, and you you, you will you can sign up there and get it. We're doing a nice little twenty five percent discount this month, so you're all, you're all set. How do so, you get that in?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We'll we'll do that again at the end just to remind people. Um, but um, the market overall while some parts of it will be overvalued some parts will be undervalued do you see any value uh, elsewhere you know generally you're, you're thinking that market might be a bit toppy but are there any areas that you think are worth investing in or could could be a buy on a dip potentially
2: yeah i mean there's uh, uh, well uh, a couple one of them is is the defense industry and i say in other words i'm not saying defensive stocks although there are some good defensive plays that that, that Will be a good idea if the market does go down, uh, at fifteen to twenty percent, like I think it, it it's likely to do. Um, but you know the, the world's not getting any safer, um, and we know obviously we're all you we know what's going on in uh, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, we know what's going on in the Middle East. Um, it's a uh, you know we people worried about uh, China and Taiwan, et cetera. Um, but you know, these things are not getting any 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 better, and uh, so I do f- believe that we've seen some of these stocks have pulled back. Some of these defense industry stocks have pulled back, and uh, uh, this summer, uh, and now they're starting to, now it's starting to bounce again. But you look at a stock like uh, uh, the old Raytheon, which is now called uh, RTX Corp, and. You no, know, I'm not. I'm not. And you know, I'm I'm a, a macro strategist, so I, I I'm not recommending this stock. I'm not saying that. But it's it's a stock that trades, you know, trades at 16 times earnings. That is, uh, it, it is it's a discount to the market, but it's a fairly big discount uh, to the industry. And uh, they what happened was the stock got knocked down because they had their their problems with their jet engines uh, for some, uh, military planes. And uh, when it first came out, I was like, okay, we'll fix it. And then it came out that it's going to take them quite a while to fix it, um, a year or so. Well, that was six months ago. And now it's been a, uh, a full year. Uh, I'm sorry. Now it's been, it's been pretty much all the way, Priced in, so in other words, they've already gone been able to go in and fix these jet engines. To, defi- to fix them all it will take longer, but it's been priced in. The stock is bouncing back nicely, and so on a technical basis, I like what it's doing on a uh, on that on that way too. Because you know, I know, Paul, you talked about this. Uh, I just I, I just think not using technical analysis is is, is you know some of it is, is better than others. But uh, I mean, the stock just made a nice uh, what I say is a nice higher low in the middle of november now it's not that far from its uh, early november lines. that if if we can get follow that higher low with a higher high above uh, you know above that uh, 85 well 84 and a half level uh, that's going to be that's going to confirm cuz it's already above its uh, its trend line from July when that news came, when that negative news came out. and uh, so if this thing can 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 rally back, it's going to be uh, and break above that level on a technical basis, that momentum money is going to go pouring into the stock. so but uh, just that's just one area that that I particularly like and one stock I like. More than others because it got it got beaten down uh, more than the others when when there was a dip this summer uh, because it had its own individual reason. But I think that issues behind them. It's the management team is very very good, and uh, so uh, I'm certainly not saying sell everything. But and 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 if you own some of these you know these stocks, I mean, can you know Nvidia has already come down much as some is it going to go down more? Uh, I think it probably will. Um, I think the AI thing has gotten a, a little too much uh too much price did but if you own it don't sell it uh i'm just saying don't add to it uh this stock is going to be you know you you own that for a long term go ahead and hold on to it uh but uh, but looking to add to it i think you'll get better opportunities uh I- I later this year or later next year i should say
0: what long-term uh risks do you see so you talked about perhaps a dip next year tim talked about austrian school economics and within that there is an eventual currency collapse because of obviously the way it's managed it's no longer linked to anything and they just keep printing it at every opportunity and can't really pay it all back so there's going to be some form of reckoning at some point is that a view you share or is that something we shouldn't worry about for many years to come
2: well, I don't know why anybody would say that because uh, uh, fiat currency is always. Oh, wait a minute! Every fiance currency in history has <laughs> <is, laughs> has gone under. So, needless to say, I would agree with. That. I'm I'm joking. I, I I do agree with that. Uh, uh, fiat currencies are uh, uh, eventually fail, and uh, you know the, the I think the 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 one thing that you know you, you think about now with this whole thing with the uh, uh uh cryptocurrencies and such i uh, you know I think not only do I think that what what is eventually going to happen but I think it's the goal uh, of, of of many of these governments is to have a, a central bank uh uh digital currency I just i just uh it's it's when when was when, I'll forget when the when the thing was really going crazy I was talking about uh when, when I'm sorry when the cryptocurrencies were really going crazy and I said you know, this is great, and and I'm and I'm not trying to say it's. I wasn't trying to badmouth it the way you know Warren Buffett uh, and others have. Uh, but what I was saying is it was getting out of hand, and I, and I also said you got to be careful about what the governments will will let happen. I mean, one of the people you know don't realize one of the few real powers that governments have is control of their currency. And if they, if they can, if they're going to let uh, Bitcoin or whatever uh, be, be, you know, the one thing that everybody said, especially the younger people were saying was the reason you should own it because you don't, you don't have to worry about it. You don't, you don't have the restrictions that a government will put on you. That's the exact reason why the government won't let, won't let you do it. And so, uh, you know, these, these cryptocurrencies are doing well now, what will they do in the long run? Because eventually the only way they're going to allow it to happen, at least unless, unless you know. Something you know, really big happens in terms of social unrest, and they get thrown out. Uh, is that we'll have central bank digital currencies, and uh, and they're gonna then they're gonna have uh, control of everything, and it's gonna be uh, uh, it's a little scary. I mean, that's a little scary to me, but uh, it's a long term. Uh, that is in again that that widening 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 chasm between the bees and not bees, the rich and the and the poor, or the rich and the not poor, uh, the rich and the not rich. Uh, it's a uh, that's going to widen out even more because uh, they're going to be uh, felt like they're under the thumb of of, of these governments. In,
0: in terms of uh, you mentioned Y two K as being a big uh, event where liquidity was added to the market, and I do actually remember that very well. And then two thousand eleven and twenty twenty were two other points. Um, also, uh, going back a bit from from uh, Y two K was the. Uh, Asian financial crisis which if you remember long term capital management got into trouble and they they stepped in to help and i think there was a russian default around that time as well uh russia defaulted on their bonds which had never happened right. before um Gosh. it it's um it seems like the genie's out of the bottle in, in the sense that it is impossible to reverse everything that that that's that's happened to, to get this under control. And I, I guess it's just sort of remaking that point that there will always be a short-term reason to step in and provide liquidity, no matter what you say or how you say it to the market. If things start to go wrong for the US economy, the biggest economy in the world, competitively, they have to react uh, because they're, they're being kept, kept effectively, inverted commas, honest by the other rising economies china um, to a certain extent india could be in the mix at some point um, and so they have to they have to protect their own economy even if you're doing effectively the wrong thing they're almost forced to do it
2: yeah, yeah you're you're absolutely right well uh, yeah, and, and and the the you know you the, the other the other examples we've seen were in 2019 uh, when the Fed I, I called it the uh, the non QE QE program because the Fed kept trying to claim it wasn't a QE program but it, but it was and you saw how their balance sheet again you know their, their balance sheet exploded and again the better one to look at is the U S Reserve balances with the Federal Reserve banks that's really where you get the good the, the right idea for uh, the right uh, clues as to what's going on with liquidity in the system, which, by the way, has now grown to a bigger level than it was uh, during the regional banking crisis. Uh, now, it's, it's in, in, in March, it's higher. It's, it's come back up, and it's higher than it was in March. But in 2019, we had the repo uh, problems in the repo market. Mm. And sure enough, the, uh, you, the, you saw how those, uh, reserve, the, the, the balance sheet expanded. The stock market rallied strongly uh, from uh, September of that year uh, into uh, through January because uh, and, and the economy didn't improve, the earnings forecast didn't go up, but the market went up significantly. I think it was 18, 20, was It was a 20%? I can't remember, but it was about 18%, I believe. a Big strong rally because again, all that liquidity was pushed in. And uh, so there are other examples and, then, and I believe it happened again this spring uh, during the uh, regional banking crisis. But it goes exactly to what you're saying, Paul. Is the Fed put? They tried to pull it in 2018, but then the high yield market started to collapse in early 2019, and they had to pivot. That was the infamous pivot. Uh, they had to do it again uh, this 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 um, past spring. So what does that leave us? I mean, you know, they've certainly spent 2020. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, 2022, uh, pulling that liquidity, trying to get us n- back to normalized, or we're not relying on, the, on that uh, excess liquidity any- anymore. And that does raise the question, will we ever be able to go off it? Because every time we try, something blows up. And uh, again, 2018 was a high yield market. 2019, it was the uh, repo market uh in 2000 and then this year it was the regional banking crisis and i would like to talk about that if we get a chance what really happened back then uh back in the spring because it really wasn't a banking crisis it was a it was a, a private equity venture capital problem but anyway please, please uh, go to, ahead to, please 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 tell us is that, that's well I'll, I'll, I'll finish that i'll, I'll finish my thought and then, and then we'll go back to that but uh I did, but, to, but you, to answer your question is that um uh, will that happen? Will we will we ever be able to get back to it? Well, we we, we kind of have to because we can't just keep adding liquidity, adding liquidity because we have we, now we have record levels of debt, uh, you know, corporate debt. They try to say the corporate uh, the corporate balance sheets are much better. There's more corporate there are more corporate debt than ever. I mean, we're was it twelve trillion dollars now, uh, and uh, and a lot of that debt was added in the last ten years to buy back stock. In other words, it wasn't added to something that will you know, help their business, that will help them service that debt. And so when this debt rolls over, and we all know we have what $1.8 trillion worth of, of uh, corporate debt rolling over in the next two years, that's uh, going to be rolled over at higher levels. I mean, that's going to cause problems for a lot of these companies. It hasn't caused it yet. And nobody's, you know, everybody was talking about the problems with rolling over commercial real estate debt. And now because of market trialing, nobody wants to talk about it anymore, even though it's still looming. Anyway, uh, I guess to answer your question, again, is to uh, say that we do have to worry. Uh, they can't just keep doing that forever. They have to let uh, these things come down every once in a while. Because if we get to this unbelievable, if we get another 1999-2000 uh, you know, style bubble, once that bursts, which all bubbles inevitably do, there's too much debt around, the whole system will collapse. They cannot let another bubble like that uh, 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 be created. So, um, uh, yes, I do think they'll come in when, when, when the, uh, once things get dire, but I do also think that they'll have to let some air out of the balloon every once in a while. And, uh, seems about now would be one of those times they would want to do it. Maybe not necessarily this week, but in the, in the coming, uh, in the coming, um, coming weeks, coming months. Um, and I can go back to the, the situation about what happened with, uh, um, with the, uh, I'm sorry, we can go back to the situation with the, what happened this spring with the, with the regional banks. People didn't go out and say, oh my God, my bank is about to go out of business. I'm going to pull my money. That's not what happened. What happened was you had, you know, a couple of banks were concentrated with all this, um, um, all this uh, private equity money and all this venture capital money. And, they were like you know these 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 startup companies um, which are you know and, and many of them may become great companies uh, but uh, they are a long way from making any money and every time they needed more money uh, uh, you know these uh, uh, innovative companies uh, there were too, too, we had too many uh, innovative companies. It's great that we had all that excess liquidity, but a lot of the excess liquidity that was going into the stock market well, was also going to all these innovative companies. Private equity firms, they had more money than they knew what to do with. Hey, take some more money. Take some more money. You, you need some more? Take some more. And then the companies would call them anytime in the last couple of years and they'd say, We're running out of money. We need some more. Uh, okay, fine. Here's take some more. Well, what happened after the Fed started tightening? Well, the Fed started tightening in a major way. Suddenly, that liquidity drained out. We saw how the balance sheet uh, shrunk in a significant way—not uh, not not significant enough as probably as it should have—but s- s- in a significant way. And so, when these all these startup companies uh, that that uh, had their money uh, at a few concentrated banks, they called up their private equity firm and venture capital firms and said, "Hey, we need we we need some more money." And they go, "Uh, well, actually, we don't have." that money, like we've had the last several years, uh, you're going to have to, you're on your own. And then, and they went, uh oh, okay, well, we do have money in our, in our, it's Silicon Valley bank or, or one of these other banks. So we're going to, you know, we have to meet our payroll. We're going to, we're going to go there. Well, you multiply that by a lot of startup companies. And suddenly they were all going to a small number of banks all at once to pull money out, to meet their payrolls and other uh, obligations they couldn't get that money from private equity anymore or couldn't get it from the venture capitalists anymore. That's what really happened. It wasn't like 2007 when, when people were so over leveraged that they, uh, uh, when, when, the markets went down, they, everything fell apart. And, and the reason why the fed had to create liquidity because it, they worried about that the thing w- would spill over to all the regional banks and even into the bigger banks, because we know, uh, in the, uh, uh, in our, fr- you know, a uh, uh, fractional banking system, uh, you know, we all say it's it's a wonderful life, the movie. It's a wonderful life. You know, the money isn't all here. It's it's in it. we've loaned it out to a lot of different people. If everybody comes for it all at once, we're screwed. And uh, so that's what really happened. It wasn't that the major that these banks were in majorly big big trouble. Um, although, don't get me wrong, they had these unrealized losses. They they facing and, facing and a lot of headwinds. Uh, but it was a different situation. And and my point is that not only did the pulling of of liquidity from the from the system hurt the markets in 2022, and also hurt the, the economy because all these startups no longer had the free money to just keep going uh, keep going as an entity uh, without uh, you know without making any money and just there isn't as much liquidity around anymore and if, and if they pull back on that liquidity as we go into 2024 at all we're going to see a similar situation in both the economy and in the uh, and in the markets.
0: Do you think bonds would be the place to be then, or are you looking and/or are you looking at, say, precious metals or some something else or another currency for, as a safe haven?
2: Well, on a short-term basis, the bond market is overbought. In other words, the uh, 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 it's overbought in price, and therefore the, it's oversold in terms of yields. So the yield, so the prices should come to, should come down at some point soon, and therefore the yield should bounce back. So I don't know that this is necessarily the exact a perfect time. What if you look at an RSI chart uh, or stochastics, whatever you want to do, even the Bollinger Bands uh, getting uh, quite extended here. So it makes sense to me uh, that we'll see bond prices come down and yields bounce. Does that start tomorrow uh, when Chairman when Powell speaks? I have no idea. Uh, but it should start soon. I guess my point is, if he is more hawkish and surprises people, the market is ripe for for a uh, – at least a short-term reversal. And uh, people want to be very, very careful. When I – uh, as we move e- – even if that doesn't happen immediately, it should happen at some point soon. But I do think uh, that the economy will start to uh, – uh, fade uh as we move into the into the new year and that will cause interest rates to go down i just don't think they'll go down to the degree that the uh, uh that the market's been pricing in recently uh, so i do like bonds to answer your question uh and i do like gold uh and you just look at again technically gold is really looking really good i'm just going to punch it up here while i'm I'm talking to you here, here on my screen. I'm very bullish on gold. It, it, just a, a short time ago, at the beginning of December, I did say, uh, again, in, in, in the mailing report, I said, listen, we you know, th- this thing's getting overbought, getting extended. Uh, we had an overnight uh, thing where it broke to a new all-time high uh, overnight in, Euro- in, in Europe, for overnight for us here in the US. It came back down. It was way too overbought near term, and it's coming back down. But now it's worked off. It's interesting because it's worked off. Uh, a a fibonacci again get too much into the tentacles here but it's it's retraced a fibonacci at 38.2% of its rally uh, from the uh, from the lows uh, of october the pullback we saw in November retraced the same 38.2% amount before it bounced back and made a new high. So the fact that it's been, it's retraced that same amount of level, this could be a very, very good entry point. Uh, it's, it's not oversold by any stretch of the imagination, but it has worked off that overbought condition in a big way. But of course, the key thing we're going to be looking at is that it's this level uh, at about uh, 2075 dollars Okay, that was the high in 2020, that was the high in 2021, uh, that was the high, I'm sorry, that was the high in 2020, 2022, and then again uh, in the spring of this year. So if it can finally break above that level, it's really going to go. And if you look at the chart, again, not to get too technical, but if you look at the chart starting in uh, you know early 2020, uh, we have see a very nice cup and handle pattern, and again, if we break above that high, it is going to go. I mean, is it going to run, run, run till the daddy takes the t bird away? Uh, you know, for those who are younger, that's an old Beach Boys song. But uh, anyway, uh, so I am I am quite bullish on a technical basis, um, but I also just think that you know, some of the uncertainties that that you you guys have been asking about and talking about uh, does uh, uh, bode well uh, for, for the yellow metal, uh, in next year. And it's, it's, uh, again, when you bump up against a resistance level, that's a multi-year level, that's been rock solid. It's tough, but when it finally breaks it, it usually, it basically always is followed by a massive further rally. So keep a close eye on that level. Uh, again, we got above it overnight one time we got to break above it and stay above it for more than a few days. Uh, but that looks, uh, I'm quite, I'm, I'm a big bull on gold on, on gold.
0: So outside of the U S do you have any opinion on any of the other major economies? Would you, do you think China is going to bounce back from this deflation and, or, and do you see a threat from India to be one of the biggest economies in the world or is your main focus just the U S?
2: No, well, I look at them all and, and, uh, I do, I mean, again, looking at history and, and I'm a big student of history, the, uh, you know, look what happened. And I'm not calling for a major depression. I'm just saying that even the U.S., what happened to the U.S.? It was coming out of World War I, was really becoming a world power. And then they went through a depression on their way to becoming the most important power of the world. And, of course, after World War II, that's what it did become. Uh, so uh, whatever China's ascent and India's assent, they, they won't happen in a straight line. And, uh, again, I'm not saying that they're going to fall into Great Depressions, uh, but they are. It's definitely slowing it away. Uh, that is concerning, especially in China with, you know, they're so reliant on their uh, real estate uh, sector, uh, uh, real estate in their economy. And they're working hard to, uh, you know, to keep these Evergrande and these other people um, from defaulting and, and going out of business, and going belly up. Uh, that's that's going to be a long process. That's not going to be, all. Oh, everything's, you know, they're not going to just you know, wipe their hands and say, hey. Yeah, we had some problems, but we're clean now, and and it's going to turn on the dime. It's going to take a long time, and I b- do believe that that President Xi, uh, President Xi, uh, is uh, knows this, and it's it's very very interesting. Um, you know, I'm sure the book of uh, 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 Ken Rogoff uh, the, uh, uh, on the uh, on the economy. He's a Harvard professor who's very well respected, and uh, he he made an interesting comment recently where he said that when when Xi was when Chairman Xi was was clamping down on those in, on the industries uh, on their industries, remember two thousand twenty one, as most of the global stock markets were rallying strongly, their market was going down because every six months they were clamping down on another one of their industries. It started with uh, Jack Ma and you know Alibaba and and that whole industry, but they did the gaming industry, they did the education industry. Every six weeks they clamped down. Their stock market went down, went down, went down, went down, went down. Went down. Now it wasn't until we we came out and and said that uh, the U.S. came out and said that they would uh, they were going to uh, delist a bunch of their companies and then it was like well, wait a minute okay <laughs> it's one thing for them to knock down their market they weren't you know, when when we did it they came in and the market rallied literally twenty eight percent one day I when the, they talk about technical analysis their RSI stopped, dropped to fourteen I was, said you got to buy China right now but interesting what Mr. Rogoff said uh, P- Professor Rogoff said. He said he he believes that he did that purposely because he saw what is happening now. He saw it coming and he wanted to clamp down on people and let them know, hey, when the economy turns down, don't mess with us. We're going to still be in charge. And this is from a very respected economist, not just me talking. So uh, I I think he sees this coming. He knows it's going to be it's going to take several years uh, for them to turn back up. So uh, but I do think on a longer term basis, uh, they uh, India uh, will do very, very well.
1: Tim, do you have any final questions to ask? I think we've covered a lot of ground, nothing nothing to add.
0: Brilliant. Um, So, Matt, was there anything that we didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about on the show?
2: The one thing that really concerns me right now is the amount of complacency surrounding the most recent rally. Uh, And and, and I understand why people think we we could have a soft landing. Uh, The problem is is so many people are so adamant about it. And the reason why that concerns me is that we've only had one Ever. And so for people to be so sure it's going to be a soft landing scares the bejesus out of me. Uh, When everybody is, you know, is is too much, uh, you know, this, I don't want to say too bullish, but they're too complacent about the situation, given that every single time we've seen interest rates rise in a major way, it has always uh, caused at least some sort of a hard landing. Does it make, take us into a full recession? I don't know. Uh, but it's happened every time. So for, for people to be so adamant that it's not going to happen this time uh, does scare me. And so people need to be very cautious about that. And uh, obviously, you want to keep a very close eye on, on the, on, uh, the uh, employment uh, uh, picture here in the U.S. If that starts to turn down, uh, a, a recession will be all but assured, as will a 20 percent or, or more decline in the stock market.
0: So, what would you say is the best case, and what's the worst case? So, twenty percent would be possibly the worst. Could that be the worst case, or do you think it could be more?
2: Well, it, well, it could always be worse. The reason why I worry about it, and and is if you have a recession, there is still huge amount of leverage in the marketplace. Huge. Okay, and uh, you know some of it has been worked off, but we just, you just look at the margin debt levels; they pop back up, so they're 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 back up, you know, at, you know, at, at levels that were only seen were only been higher one other time at the end of two thousand twenty one, and there's a lot of leverage in the economy, just like we were talking about with what's going on with these uh, startup companies and uh, and these innovative companies, and as that what happens is, is is that at some point, if the market starts to fall. More of that leverage is going to have to be unwound, and that could turn a 20% decline into a 25 to 30% decline. Remember, crashes are not crashes are not caused by a recession. They're not caused by a slower economy. They're not caused by slowing earnings. Uh, they're caused caused by one thing and one thing only: forced selling. Margin uh, uh, margin calls and that kind of forced selling doesn't happen from a top. That's why we don't get crashes from a top. It starts to go down, starts to go down. Then it crashes because people don't get margin calls until the market's already dropped 12, 15 percent, something like that. And so the thing could snowball and become uh, a, a bit of a worse one. But the greatest part about that is it creates unbelievable opportunities because when people are selling because, they've, uh, because they have to. And they go, don't sell that. It's cheap. I know, I. Can, but but I've got a margin call. I have. I have no choice. I have to sell it. And that's what creates these unbelievable uh, opportunities you uh, you know. To, uh, you know, To when there's blood in the streets to, to pick up uh, some unbelievable stocks uh, when the baby's been thrown out with the bathwater. And uh, so I'm not call- necessarily calling for that. That's why I'm thinking it's more like 15%. But if it gets towards 20%, it gets more than 15, it will almost certainly accelerate because of uh, uh, the unwinding of that leverage. And, uh, and those who have a little bit of excess cash on the sidelines are gonna be the ones who have not only the ability, to take advantage of it, but they'll have the confidence to take advantage of it. Those who are fully invested won't have the money, but they won't have the confidence either because their, their portfolios will be getting slant.
0: Great stuff. Tim, um, what's your, that's a great way to end, what's your media pick for this week?
1: Oh, it struck me recently that I hadn't been to the cinema to see a film since Dunkirk. So oh, I went wow. to see Napoleon, the new Ridley Scott biopic. And uh, have you seen it yet?
0: No, it's had mixed reviews apparently.
1: Well, I think the mixed reviews are basically a bunch of French people that, you know, <laughs> as 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 Ridley Scott said, the French hate themselves. So you know we're we're dealing with a you know we're, we're dealing with a certain type of we're dealing with a certain type of people here. And a lot of people have said yeah, it's not historically accurate. But as Ridley Scott would have would have said, you know, he's making a film. He's not making a historical documentary. So. Um, but, uh, I, I don't think personally too many historical liberties were taken, but I mean, what do I know? But the the point is it's, I mean, it's, it's two and a half, at least two and a half hours long, not a minute drags. It, it, it isn't over long. It's a, an old style crowd pleaser. It's very entertaining. Oh, brilliant. The, the battles, the battle sequences are brutal. Um, so that's one thing to bear in mind. It's not, not for kids because there's some horrific, horrific carnage on the screen. Um, and also it's very, very noisy.
0: Hmm
1: so at least half the, half, the, half the film is dedicated to canon being canon being shot off but uh, no I, I love you Akin Phoenix I, I wasn't really that familiar with Vanessa is it Vanessa Kirby he's yes the, she's very good uh, his, yeah. uh, Josephine but uh, no ab- absolute barnstormer and incredible that Ridley Scott was 85 when he made it and he's now working on Gladiator 2 yes yes which what, I a, what a force of what a force of nature that man is
0: amazing isn't it oh, That's that's absolutely brilliant I'm so pleased to hear you enjoyed it and Matt, you're. I could tell that you were a student of history by just by the answers that you were given. Um, was was that a period that you had a look at um, at all, or was it just market history that you were interested in?
2: Oh no, I love all all history. World War II in particular, uh, which uh, uh, and and you and you mentioned uh, the uh, actress uh, who uh, uh, played Josephine was uh, who, she played Princess Margaret in the Crown?
0: Yeah, she's brilliant at that.
2: Very 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 good actress. Yeah, a huge fan of hers. Um, but yes, I, uh, you know, uh, World War II in particular, uh, Dunkirk, uh, uh which is, is, it was funny because I've learned more about it, but when I was really looking at it, when I was in college and stuff, I really looked at all, all those things and, and, uh, I didn't know a lot about Dunkirk. I certainly was aware of it and, and knew, you know, the, the periphery of it, but, uh, boy, uh, not, but I learned a lot more since then. And so, uh, it was, uh, it was just a fascinating, just a miraculous thing. And then of course, I, I really, really enjoyed the, uh, the Churchill movie a couple of years ago uh, as well. I thought that was very well done. Um, but the one, you know, th- speaking of that time frame, there's a movie that's coming out. It's not out yet, but I read the book and it's called The Boys in the Boat. And it's about uh, a bunch of uh, young men in college uh, who, in the 1930s, one in particular that they kind of concentrate on who comes from nothing, uh, absolutely nothing, and uh, becomes a crew racer. Uh, and he uh, uh, goes on and he and – he, uh, uh, and I'm going to give, give the story away. It's an unbelievable book. If you get a chance to, to, to read it, it's called The Boys in the Boat. And it uh, talks about them going to the 1936 Olympics, which here in the U.S., everybody thinks about um, um, Jesse Owens. Uh, uh and what happened there in the berlin olympics with uh, hitler and such uh but uh, uh this is a really really great story of of uh, overcoming the odds uh uh to uh well i'll leave it there i don't want to give it away but it's a it's a uh, uh a great great book where, where the olympics is a very very short part of it at the end which is how how people uh uh during that time, and, and I, I don't want to get too much into it, but I just that whole generation of people who went through a great depression, then went through World War II—they knew that nothing was given to them. They they knew that sometimes uh, life really sucks, and uh, and so uh, uh, when they uh, when they do were able to achieve things or overcome things, uh, they appreciated things in, in that much more. And I, I I would I would like to see more of us uh, who are alive today to. Uh,
1: understand what they went through, because I think we'd be all, we'd all be better off. So. Matt's, read, Matt's reticence to, to reveal the plot is um, admirable, and it reminds me of a, uh, one of my favorite anecdotes about, I used to read a, a magazine called Empire, which is a film review magazine, monthly film magazine, and one of their journalists was clearly whimsically inclined, so they went to see a film called Blue, directed by Derek Jarman, who was an, an art house director. And blue simply consists of various shades of the color blue to a soundtrack. And about 20 minutes in, the journalist in question stands up in the cinema and says, can anyone tell me what's going on, please? I'm colorblind.
0: (laughs) 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 That's brilliant. brilliant. Um, I can see The Boys in the Boat is based upon a true story, which is fantastic.
2: It is is a true story. And the, the movie, I believe, is coming out within the next week
0: or two. Oh, fantastic. Even better. So excellent we got that to look forward to and we'd have to have, we'll obviously have you back on the show next year um if if you'd love to come and oh, you i'd love to, t- love to do it and you could tell us what you think of the uh the, the screen version of it the screenplay um tim i just had a quick question about napoleon because you know he was born on the island of corsica and didn't speak french until the age of 10 so he wasn't technically french i wonder how, whether they put any of that in the in the story
1: they do. They do have his background, um, mm. but the. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't attempt to do French. So it's very much in kind of like mid Atlantic axis. They don't. They don't. <laughs> appear, they don't. They don't try that old thing. Because the, the the best way of doing this with World War Two films was you'd have all these Germans and they'd be speaking German. You'd have all the Nazis speaking German for about a minute, and then they just they just basically turn into American. Yeah. And
0: yeah. Just, and and everyone why. just goes, Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. We we <laughs> yeah.
1: think it's the best way of doing
0: it. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: That's so good. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've been accused of speaking French many times, but it's usually as I'm staggering out of a pub. But we won't get into that. <laughs>
0: <Fantastic>. <laughs> Other than
2: that, my French is very poor.
0: <laughs> well, Matt, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for coming. And, um, just remind us where people can find you. And you said something about an offer on your, your newsletter.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, the mailie report, M A L E Y, the dot report.com slash 25. And, uh, As uh, you know, this time of year, we're just uh, uh, offering a uh, 25% uh, uh, off my all access plan. And uh, that gives you six commentaries a week, a a daily uh, note every morning, and then uh, a weekend piece, which uh, goes over. uh, It's it's 10 different issues. It's not necessarily the top. I, I try to focus on the issues that people aren't focusing on and uh, so really can pe- give an idea uh people an idea of what's really going on in the marketplace and so how they can take advantage of the, the key turning points uh, when they when they crop up
0: fantastic well we'll put links in the show notes to those and obviously the media picks thanks once again for coming on the show and we look forward to having you back
2: tim paul i really enjoyed it and uh, have a great holiday and uh, we'll talk to you, uh, we'll talk to you soon you too, you too. cheers matt thank you right. cheers matt
0: bye Thanks, everybody. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.